a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. All right. What a magnificent episode we have ahead of us today, right? Oh, that was right? good. Right? No, that was really not good. That was pretty bad, but that's <laughs> okay. Well, you know. So back to remakes. Back to remakes. Uh, yeah. We've done a couple of these before. Um, it's been enlightening to to do these episodes, I think. Yeah. Kind of give different perspectives on, you know, these are different kinds of remakes for the most part we try to do. And uh, I think this is a really, really good example of that. I'm glad so, we chose the ones that we did for this. Yeah. I mean, I think the first one. As the, the first original, one's obvious. Yes. Yeah. But it's kind of a no <laughs> The one we chose to go with it was, yeah. I think, the right way to go. Because there are a lot of options. Okay. So I will say what the original is. The original is, I'm just going to say it. The greatest movie ever made. I, <laughs> I in this rewatch, I have come to the I'm realization. Not, not going to argue with you. Yeah, that this movie is, I think, just the most perfect, immaculate, uh, influential movie I have ever seen, and it just gets better every time I see it. And that is Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece, The Seven Samurai, from 1954. And there are lots of movies that could go with this. There have been yeah. lots of different kinds of remakes of this. Of course, the most obvious is 1960s, uh, The Magnificent Seven, uh, directed by uh, John Sturgis, I want to say. Then we have uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Pretty cool movie. You know, John Sayles wrote that one. Roger Corman uh, produced Star Wars ripoff, sort of, starring the 18's own George Papard. It's pretty fun. It's a pretty good movie. I, I saw it a couple of years ago for the first time over on, uh, I think it was on Amazon Prime at the time, probably still is, A Bug's Life, you know? Did you ever see A Bug's Life? Yes, I like it. <laughs> okay. It's a cute movie. I mean, but <laughs> It's very cute. Es essentially, and I didn't even realize it until quite a bit later that it was a remake of Seven Samurai, essentially. I don't think it's really acknowledged as one by the filmmakers, but it clearly is, <laughs> you know, uh, it's that same story. But no, which one have we chosen to go with Seven Samurai? We have chosen not a direct remake of Seven Samurai, more a direct remake of what is actually a remake of Seven Anyway, we chose from <laughs> the 2016 version of The Magnificent Seven. Directed by Antoine Fuqua. Yeah, which I thought was a really... When I watched the two back-to-back, -back, it was like, this was interesting because they are, I think, more different. 
mm-hmm. Seven Samurai and, and the 2016 Magnificent Seven are more different than Seven Samurai and the 1960 Magnificent Seven. That one feels more like a direct remake of, of Seven Samurai, which, when it was originally released in the United States, was titled The Magnificent Seven, Magnificent which, Seven. Yep. which is a hell of a great title for this movie, you know, for Kurosawa's film. Seven Samurai is... And there's nothing wrong with the title, but it is kind of <laughs> generic. You know, it just says, there are seven samurai. Okay. Um, so the Magnificent Seven is just sort of a, is a it, it pops as a title. Uh, and, you know, watching it with that idea in mind, I, I love as sort of an ironic title for both movies. That's you true. Know? When you said that, I, I really thought about it. And that makes a lot of sense. And it yeah, kind of be- makes it even more poignant, like the, the point of both of the stories really and having to do with the characters yeah okay so we're going to kind of take this in two parts we're thinking first we're going to talk about things like you know the plot uh the filmmakers uh, (laughs) filmmakers plural we're going to kind of talk about them both you know some of the things that are the same some things that are different um how it kind of stands out to Mm -hmm. us about what we like about both of them yeah yeah i mean uh seven samurai is 207 minutes long it's two and it's, it's three and a half a hours lot. it's 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 a lot sprawling. of plot. <laughs> it's sprawling it's big it's got a lot and we could spend you know we could dissect every second of the movie and be yeah. you know blown away by that if you want that i highly recommend listening to the commentary tracks on the criterion disc because uh, they go into you know all that stuff and so i think i think it's donald ritchie's commentary I could be wrong about that. David Desser, Joan Mellon, Stephen Prince, Tony yeah. Rains, and Donald Ritchie. Yeah. So those uh, those I have commentators. No idea who these people are. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Prince is also a very well regarded, along with Donald Ritchie, uh, Kurosawa scholar, and they okay. um, they dissect the you know the way Kurosawa places things in the frame that's one of the things i realized mm, watching right. it this time is like kurosawa has complete control over everything that appears in his yeah. frame i mean as much as like a kubrick does but what's great about kurosawa is he has that kind of control but it still feels it doesn't feel cold it's not like, obvious yeah too. like yeah yeah i mean it, it feels there's a natural feeling to it but the way people mm. are placed in a composition is always exactly the way he wants it Yep. Um, that's what I like about him. Yeah. Is that you can, when you really look at it, you're like, oh, that's actually a perfect shot, but it's yeah. not like in your face with it. Like, look sure. how good I am at what I do. It just yeah. comes off as like, that's how it's it's supposed to be. And it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and, and I it, think Fukua does the same thing with the remake. The remake is mm-hmm. fucking beautiful. I just loved watching that movie just from from a visual standpoint. It's just it's beautiful to watch. And that's one of the things that I love the most about Westerns, especially. Mm -hmm. And so he oh God, he just captures those vistas and everything. Oh, my God. Absolutely. They have (laughs) have sort of a you know sort of like a john fordian kind of look you Mm -hmm. know as far as their grandeur you know the canyons and the and the fields one thing that i noticed there's this great high shot of the village or the town i should say (laughs) in in magnificent seven where you just see like the green all around it and it's Mm -hmm. just beautifully 
the color of it's so beautiful as well. And that's one of the great contrasts too about the films is one's in beautiful black and white and sure. one is in gorgeous color. Uh, and you just, yeah, they're, they're both just magnificent looking movies. Uh, yeah. I, I keep on, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to do that a lot. I think that word is just stuck in my head. Um, right. <laughs> but I mean, frankly, okay. I got, I got to say, I started watching seven samurai like a week ago. Because I we originally thought we were going to be able to record earlier than this. And I got through about a half hour, had already written like four pages of notes and was like, this movie is so overwhelming at how incredible it is. I, I just, ha- I actually had to stop it. I, I don't know how to describe it. I've always thought of this movie highly, okay? I've always thought it was a really good movie, a great movie, but just observing the way the characters interact, the acting, you know, the things that you notice all the time with movies, uh, story structure and Mm -hmm. the way events intertwine and how characters are introduced, but then also things like editing and framing and composition. And when there's a breeze blowing, when weather is used, when uh, slow motion is used, everything, it just became mm-hmm. so overwhelming to me how brilliant it was that I, I was just like, I, I, I kind of can't take it right now. <laughs> it, 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 that sounds weird, <laughs> I'm sure. But I was frankly, very awestruck by this movie more than I ever have before. And I've seen this four or five times before this and it just gets better and better every time you know what i liked about it this time i only saw this for the first time i think two years i don't know i don't know time time has no meaning anymore i don't it's been been the last year or two i mean i I really okay yeah but well because it wasn't that uh, long ago it, it was while it's since we've been doing this podcast because I started saying, Hey, you should watch Kurosawa. Movies. <laughs> that's Kurosawa. That's true. <laughs> so, so we've only been doing this for two years. Yeah. We're coming up on two years at the end of the year, aren't we? Yay. We sure that's are. Exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I really found myself liking about Kurosawa in, in general and this movie was um, how not overwhelming it is to watch them in regards to their reputation. Yes. It's, they're very, they're very easy. They're very entertaining and not easy movies to watch. This is very, they're long and involved. Uh, mostly this one is very long and involved. But once you get into it, like you're into it and you're into the characters. And it's, I mean, it just boils down to the same things that makes a really good story is good characters, good interaction and good, you know, acting and just how that all, how that all comes together. It's just, I don't know how to say it. Maybe it was the same kind of thing with Eyes Wide Shut where you think it's something really daunting to like, sure. okay, God, we got to talk about Seven Samurai when really it's like, no, it's it's not that bad. It's not that overwhelming when you look at like what you really was- respond. What I respond to the most in movies like that I love talking about the most is again, the characters and, and yeah. their interactions and their motivations. Like that's the, you know, the humanity of the story and the humanity yeah. of the people that they're talking about. I mean, Which that's is why what I want to focus on that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I think that's the most interesting thing about both of these movies, the, yeah. not just the, yeah. the visual and the, the the filmmaking style, which is mm-hmm. beautiful in both of yeah. them, obviously. But it's not really what gets to me the most about both of them. Yeah, I, which is kind of why I wanted to talk about you know the sort of the the filmmaking and some of those elements right at the top is so yeah. that because well, that's a good way to go. Okay. Yeah, um, because I I was just like 
I was looking at every edit is made on on a motion of someone in in Seven Samurai, right? You know, mm-hmm. if you you go from someone standing to crouching or something like that, and they crouch a lot in this movie. And there's just this cut where where and it's like at the perfect time. It's hard to describe until you actually watch it and you actually watch for it a little bit. You're like it's pretty brilliant. I mean, just how precise it is. And you know, Kurosawa was listed as the editor on this movie too. Uh, so director, writer, editor, Akira Kurosawa. I mean, if that's not an auteur, I don't know what is, <laughs> you know? So this is very much within his hands. This is his hands are all over this movie, but I, I feel like when I'm watching it, I, I'm not watching him pose dolls. Like I sometimes feel like when I'm watching Kubrick. Now this is not right. to disparage Kubrick because I think those movies are really interesting. The performances that he gets are very interesting, but they're different. I mean, they're, they're intentionally drained of passion and emotion most of the time. Kurosawa's character. Clinical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kurosawa's characters are hot-blooded, passionate, charismatic, frightening sometimes. I think Toshiro Mifune is one of, in this movie, is at turns hilarious. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Gut-wrenching. Heartwarming, yeah. (laughs) Heartwarming, frightening. Like that scene where he's yelling in the in the armor, you know? Yeah. I I, I mean that is I mean if you want to see just a masterclass in great acting to a camera, it's that shot. You know, it's that mm-hmm. where he's just yelling at them, and the the helmet is the parts of the helmet are like flying inside or like yeah, or forth, yeah, <laughs> are flying around, and you know, and and he's just he's scary in in a lot of ways in that. But I, I wrote this when I when I was watching this. It's uh, Toshiro Mifune is the most commanding screen presence uh, there has ever been. He absolutely grabs your attention, and um, in all honesty, so much so uh, when I first saw this, I actually thought his performance was too much for me. But I think what's great is it's so balanced by uh, Takashi Shimura, who's yeah. always so wonderfully understated. He's so zen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're we're going to be present. We've already recorded the episode, but we're talking about Ikiru um, ah. with Pat Brennan, our Heartbreaking. friend. Um, yeah, and it's just this that kind of of understated but powerful performance. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, he's he's always hunched over. He's always making himself small. Here, he is like absolute authority and gravitas in every moment. You know, it's it's really incredible. I mean, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit by talking about those characters but <laughs> we're talking about the characters we said we weren't going to talk about that yeah well i mean later. i think okay. i think i think it's a, i think of it as an aspect of filmmaking and um sure. so i mean and obviously no one chose shots and where to put the camera like kurosawa i mean it's just right. the just f- phenomenal now fuqua um i think without trying to copy kurosawa has a has has a wonderful sense of it all too I think for me, that's the strongest aspect of the remake of Magnificent Seven is just the way the movie looks. It's oh and God, the perform yeah. and the performances are, are incredible. Are wonderful performances. I don't want to awesome take those. Cast. Yeah, incredible cast. I don't want to um, knock that back at all. But I think the way that movie looks is just oh god, it rules. So my parents are not movie people at mm-hmm. all really <laughs> they don't watch a whole lot of movies they definitely don't go to the movies but um in 2016 when this came out i was like hey dad you want to come to the movies with me and he was like what no i don't go to the movies what are you talking about what do you want to go see 
I'm going to go see The Magnificent Seven. And he just immediately goes, oh, no, yeah, I'll go see that with you. Totally. (laughs) So fantastic. This movie got my dad to the theater for the first time in like, I don't know how long, 10 years, maybe. Yeah. And because I knew he I knew he would want to go because he's a big Western guy. And, you know, this being a remake, I know he he liked the original movie. I'm sure. Yeah. And God, I'm so glad I saw this in the theater because uh, yeah, yeah, I was wa- I was watching it like in there was I think there was one shot where both of us were we both just kind of like oh shit <laughs> like look how pretty that is and I mean watching it again that happened several times in in this movie just the way he captures the you know what I think. I, I was thinking about this um, yesterday that that's something that really appeals to me a lot about Westerns is just the visual aspect of it. Yeah. And I don't know, this is going to sound weird, kind of just, it kind of ties into the the visual aspect of it and how it's, it's presented kind of ties into like the appeal of that kind of lifestyle, like the idyllic version of that kind of lifestyle, sure. the, simp- the simplicity, f- the freedom, yeah, freedom and simplicity of life, even though, yes, it was you know, hard work, you know, doing everything yourself, not having modern conveniences. I'm not saying that, but just like also not having the stresses of modern life, the untouched landscape, you know, kind of semi self-isolation, but like in a good way, like being self-sufficient and uh, just, yeah, like when you see people like on Twitter talking about how, you know, like, yeah, I would absolutely go like, go live in a cabin in the woods by myself. You know, I think that really is kind of ideal for a lot of people because we've become so stressed out by all this modern stuff mm-hmm. that this kind of thing, like when I watch it, like this was another reason why I was a big fan of that show, uh, like Longmire, which is like sure. a modern Western in a way, uh-huh. too, because, again, it was it's the mountains and forests and rivers and just like all that beautiful landscape and just like picturing like living in a little cabin you know with nothing surrounding you um that's very appealing and it's uh yeah i don't know well i think you see that even now i mean the biggest show on tv that no one ever seems to talk about is yellowstone Uh, right (laughs) that that i mean it's funny because there's like never any discourse about that show i just know a lot of people that watch it (laughs) And love right. it. And that's kind of like one of the things that's great about it is like this idea of that freedom and land and the open spaces. And there's yes. just no Twitter crap about it. Exactly. Either. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what was my favorite video game it was Red Dead Redemption, baby. Like yeah. I was like, I want to do this every day. Sure. <laughs> Go out and ride my horse and skin some bunnies and pick some <laughs> flowers. Come on. <laughs> nice. Again, I'm, I know that that's like the idyllic version of sure. <laughs> like what life was like back then. It was then. a very challenging what, life, of course, yes. Right. What we get in the movies is something like really violent usually with with westerns but you know that's not what it was like all the time like i'm sure there was was probably more like disease and (laughs) and (laughs) you know uh, boredom and hard work and being dirty all the time is probably (laughs) more like it but i mean when you get somebody like fuqua who can uh, yeah just all the different landscapes that he captures from plains to canyons i don't know what the fuck they are like where they were sleeping overnight at one time when they when they meet Red Harvest. Yes. Ugh, beautiful. 
beautiful so that yeah i mean that was kind of the same thing i had for this was like the the, what appealed to me the most about it was just the look of it it is a gorgeous gorgeous movie and then also the way that he shoots the the action that's one thing i will kind of say that it's a little bit more exciting than seven samurai in that way where seven samurai has like um a lot of like it's very battle scenes action, and yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. it's very modern very cool action it is so much more brutal like um right away too um that like that first kind of thing where uh bogue the the main bad guy kind of shows how bad he is you know to the audience like people getting shot and hatchets in their back or whatever like oh yeah I forgot how how brutal this is, and it just sure. it, it gets really cool in the uh, the the final showdown between uh, the seven. They're not samurai. I don't know what to call them in here. Just Gun the seven fighters, you know, fighters, yeah, outlaws, bounty hunters. Um, I don't know. A lot of shit blowing up and a lot of guns and stuff. Really cool. I mean, that's what I like about westerns. What is what I did notice too is that a lot of this in a lot of stuff in this um, movie is very. Like I don't want to say cliche, but it's a lot of stuff that you kind of expect from westerns. You but it's also the kind of yeah, stuff. Uh-huh. It's also the kind of stuff that you love to see in westerns, and you never yeah. really get tired of, like fucking you know standoffs and you know quick draw fights. Ah, I love that. Yeah, and it's done so well with the with the actors. The cast in this is great, as we said before some too. Like some of the things I think are interesting about the two movies is uh, Magnificent Seven. You were talking about the violence and the brutality. I think there's sort of a different statement about violence being made in seven samurai though uh it's about the mm-hmm. modern thing that's coming in which happens in both too because there's yeah. the machine gun in uh the magnificent gun, yeah. seven yeah the gatling gun but the fact that every one of the samurai they go at, they're die, going after these muskets yeah 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 every one of the samurai that die is killed by being shot rather than being cut down by a sword or, you know, a spear or a traditional kind of weapon like an arrow, which is all they use. I mean, they, they use mm-hmm. swords and they use arrows and they use spears. That's what the villagers use. or And sometimes he's like farming implements, which I think is... I love the scene where the women, they, there's the, that one bandit that they captured. They captured. And yeah. then there, there are two parts where they do this. And there's old lady... They just show her walk by and she's carrying like a like a hoe, like a spiked hoe yeah. thing. And they don't even show it happen, but they just watch her walk by and you know that she is going to be going to town on this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I love that scene. That It's incredible. And then later, there's this scene where, where um, the samurai kind of drive this is something i noticed more this time they don't kill a lot of people themselves they kill a few but they the villagers they sort of guide the bandits to where the villagers are and the villagers like beat the living shit out of them you know (laughs) and and i love i love the part where it's just all the women of the town they go after the one they like trap him in the hole and they're just like and again they just have like these farm implements and they don't even really show it, but you know that they're just they're just slaughtering this guy. Yeah. Um, and I find that to be interesting um, because there is there is a discussion going on in the in the in Seven Samurai about violence and about sort of a violent past. When is it necessary, and when is it time to? put it away and um that's one of the first things yeah. um kambe says is mm-hmm. i'm sick of fighting yeah age i suppose you know well you got to remember this was post-war japan i mean that's the theme of a lot of post-war japan films you know <laughs> japanese films in this era are much more about 
putting away violence than taking it up. It's like we are doing this because we have to, because mm-hmm. it is the right thing to do, not because we want to. And you understand, I mean, this was the only nation in the history of the world, and hopefully will always be the case, who has been struck by a nuclear weapon. Hopefully that will not ever have to happen again in history, I hope. But uh, that is terrifying to think of. So I think there are lots of statements about militarism and violence in these 1950s Japanese films. And you see that across the board, uh, not just in Kurosawa. Kurosawa tends to be sort of like the most accessible to Western audiences because I think he was influenced by Westerns and a lot of, you know, Hollywood films uh, in a good way. And so sort of like said, I, I can do that. I can do it better is basically, and he was right, <laughs> you know, for the most part. He did. I think, yeah. I, and he, in turn, then influenced, you know, Westerns and space movies. And <laughs> what did, <laughs> I've already mentioned some of the movies that Seven Samurai influenced. But, you know, I mean, like The Hidden Fortress, there's a lot in it that ended up in Star Wars. All kinds of things. Obviously, Yojimbo was ripped off directly by Sergio Leone. It's a damn good movie. I mean, it's a direct remake of a <laughs> of, of, uh, Fistful of Dollars is a direct remake of, of Yojimbo. You know, Magnificent Seven, obviously a remake of this, a direct remake. But I think there's a lot more that are indirect remakes. And we've already mentioned a few of them. Uh, so real quick, I mean, if you don't know the plot, it's a simple plot. And I think that's one of the virtues of the movie. You have a little town in both cases that's in peril. It's bandits in Seven Samurai. It's sort of a rich robber baron, minor guy in uh, Magnificent Seven. They attack the people in the town. They steal from them. They kill some of them. So the people of the town decide to go out and hire people to protect them. And they're poor. They can't afford much. So they don't get a lot of takers, uh, except for, in both cases, sort of a ragtag group um, that are somewhat uh, rejected by society. For various reasons, who end up saving the day and <laughs> driving <laughs> driving the bad guys away, you know, yeah. um, and and they teach, and more importantly, I think they. I think this is even more prevalent. It's in both movies, but I think it's even more in Seven Samurai. The theme of Seven Samurai is that it becomes the people's victory. It becomes them yes. that win the win the day. Mm-hmm. It's them that become magnificent more than the samurai. And I think that's kind of part of the point of the movie in in a in an interesting way. So you it's look like you disagree more, with me. <laughs> yeah, that that point comes across a lot more in Seven Samurai than it does in yes, Magnificent Seven. In either version, I frankly, I think it's kind of a little bit of a misstep in terms of like what the the importance of like the core story should have yeah. been in that. Talked about this off air, but there's <laughs> yeah. a there's a big issue that Michelle and I both seem to have with Magnificent Seven that we feel kind of undermines the uh, thematic ideas that are put forward for most of Magnificent Seven and for all of Seven Samurai. But we'll get to that, I think, when we talk about that character, I think, probably. Unless you want to do it now. Because both of the... The big thing in both of them is that the villagers or the townspeople are just simple farmers. They're not fighters. Right. And so it should be, yeah, more 
more magnificent that they win yeah. than the trained fighters. Yeah, and, and I think that's even kind of where it doesn't really yeah. work as well in Magnificent well, Seven. Now that I think it, about it more, <laughs> in Magnificent Seven, they're sort of like seen as their heroes. They ride off into the sunset, kind of thing. Even though <laughs> the, the only in both cases, only We're, three yeah. remain. I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean the. Four of them die in both cases. And I don't think it's the same characters, particularly in each movie. Your leader in both cases, the similar ones for sure, but not necessarily the same ones, though. It's hard to, it's hard to, there's not, they're not really like, there's not a one-to-one correlation. influence, yeah, yeah, with, in terms of the characters, but I mean, I think we can make some, you can make kind of comparisons between the, the samurai and the the fighters. Yeah. Okay. So anything else about like visual storytelling, about Um, plot, about anything like that, that that I mean, I know people are probably expecting like a, a definitive uh, podcast episode about the that masterpiece that is Seven Samurai, but we, we cannot that do too, that. Yeah. <laughs> I would, yes, like you said, I would love to talk about like pretty much every scene, second every, well, of this movie. a little, yeah. lot of just like random uh, I mean, little shots are well, just perfect and close-ups and, yeah. and vistas. And uh, one of my favorite shots is like right at the beginning when it's just the. Uh, the bandits, you know, they set up what the plot is going to be is like, oh, we're going to attack them like when their when their barley grows back, and that guy is just kind of like hiding. He's got the thing on his back yeah. that makes him looks it like he's goes. blending in with the grass, and it's he's brilliant. just. I love that. I love that shot so much. There are a couple of things I want to bring up that I think are pretty cool. I think it's interesting that when a samurai is shot, you never see the gunman. You don't see the gunman actually fire the shot. You just see them. You just hear the shot and you see them die. Um, Mm -hmm. And in in one case, you don't even see the, the, the character die. You don't see him get shot. You don't see Gorobe get shot. Then there are weird things. You know, like the old man's, the old man's house, you know, has Uh that thumping wheel that just that thunk, thunk funk that happens i think is is such an interesting touch i mean the dry dust in the air the deep focus the perfectly timed cuts the part where he's you know (laughs) the walking outside the group and they suddenly kneel and then the part where there's this weird cut where kikuchio you know pushes his way through the crowd to see shimada you know do what he's doing and they show him push through the crowd twice in the same motion it's this interesting (laughs) cut i mean it's just like shockingly brilliant that you know i i just i could gush about every second of this movie a lot of things that happens happen in in patterns of three yeah some really standout stuff for me (laughs) oh god the music yeah i know oh gosh the Um, music is incredible but also in just in terms of sound design too like one of my favorite things i remember this from the first time i watched it i was like oh that's this just really uh comes together like really cool and it sounds really cool is during the final battle because it's pouring down rain which Which is uh, so cool in itself which in itself is kind of symbolic you know rain is yeah rebirth and that kind of stuff so it's like could be could be like a cleansing thing but it turns out to be bad for my favorite samurai but whatever poor poor kikuchio running around in his armor and no no pants but just the sound design i i I know i love that though (laughs) 
so funny. I was just watching that um, that part of that battle again because it's it's the it's the rain, it's the mud, it's the horses clomping yeah. back and forth. Like just it's the sound design just... is spot on and perfect <sighs> and beautiful. I don't know, it really the got chaos to me. of all that. Yeah, amazing shot um, that also kind of goes with um, the perfect sound design too. Is um, when they they're doing the raid on the hideout, mm-hmm. they're burning it down, and the way that that it's it's revealed is um we find out is um what's his name rikichi's that's rikichi's yeah, wife yeah um, the way that's revealed oh, is the, everyone else and everyone else in there is asleep and it's just revealed like she's waking up and you, you, I, just the way that she doesn't say anything you can just mm-hmm. kind of tell kind of what's going on this she's in a daze yeah. you can yeah you can tell like she's the way that abused. she's not yeah the yeah. way that she's not telling the people you know that's because she's the one that sees the fire first um that I mean, that what a perfect way just to to tell her story in that one shot. I thought that was yeah. beautiful. It's very show me, don't tell me. It's mm-hmm. like then at the end of that, just the gut punch of that, you know, because we her running are, back into the fire. Yeah, yeah. It's like back. it's like what? Who who is she to you? It's like she's my wife. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh my gosh! And they, and you know, they're they're all pissed off because the first of of their number has been killed in that. Yeah. And um, he's um, my, my second uh, favorite. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, Hihachi is amazing. Hihachi, he's so cute. who is the one to bring joy in good t- in hard times. Yeah, uh, he's been set up as this character to bring this sort of lightness and humor when things get difficult and. Before things actually are going to get difficult, he yeah. is killed. He's taken and out. And that is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, I mean, we could go through every, comb through every <laughs> second of this movie. But how about we do that? this? Let's uh, take oh, a look Oh, this shot. At, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I love the the stuff with um, Katsushiro and Shino, like in the fields of flowers. Oh, gosh, like the that, flowers. Where that, big, where that becomes like their little place. Like he's there, yeah. you know, first. Like that's kind of his little place he goes to get away, just laying in you know, a field of flowers. And then it kind of becomes their little meeting place. And that's that's another yeah. beautiful thing, too, because they're just, just lying in a bed of white flowers. The innocence and yes. idealism <laughs> of youth. Uh, yeah. so it's, just young it's, love. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very... A bit of romance in this violent movie. Yeah, it's very pure, you know, even even Mm -hmm. with, you know, it's the sort of the the scene that happens later as you know Aww. um but makes the whole ending bittersweet yeah it really does the humor in yeah, the movie ahead. too there's this, so this movie much is humor. so funny that'll kind of go more with the the characters maybe too because uh, yeah Kikuchio, i love him yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we're going to compare characters a little bit i think it makes the most sense to talk about takashi shimura as kambe shimada and Denzel Washington as um, Sam Chisholm. Sam Sam Chisholm, which I, uh, I they are they are the characters that I see most as the one to one comparison. Yeah, you know they are the leaders of this group. What's what's different, of course, is Chisholm. He's actually, you know, he's a warrant officer. He's a, he doesn't like the term bounty hunter. You know, he's a bounty uh, hunter though. (laughs) Yeah. He's a bounty hunter, but he's also, he's also, he's also um, a peace officer too. He's a peace officer. officer. He's, he's official. uh, You know, he has an official capacity. Yeah. Whereas uh, Shimada is, 
a ronin. He has no master. That's an um, important thing that he brings up. Yeah. You know, he's just like he left being a samurai because he was tired of fighting. Yep. You know, and I think that is so important to him as a character. I, th- I I think, um, like I said, I mean, if you're going to have a character that can exude today the kind of gravitas that Takashi Shimura uh, did in 1954, you're going to pick Denzel Washington, I think. Denzel Washington <laughs> does yeah. a pretty damn good job of matching that. Yeah. Because then- one thing I noticed, mm-hmm. too, between the two of them, we said that um, Shimura's character is kind of zen uh, and kind of the not as you know high energy as someone like Kikuchio, but something that they have in common um kambe and chisholm is that they can be intense when they need to be yes. and when they need to make a point and that's what i love because kambe yeah. only really kind of loses his cool once one time yeah when those guys are gonna be yeah when those guys are uh they don't want to give up their homes because that's yeah. part of the, the their battle plan and they say like okay we're gonna break out from the two of you and he just kind of like runs after them and is like get back in line like it's yeah. not about you it is about everybody yeah and he makes I, his point known i love that part i wrote this down we can't risk 20 to save three you know because there's yep. 20 houses in the village there are three on the outside which all get burned you know they lose those houses mm-hmm. you know that's the first thing the bandits take out is those houses and says this is the nature of war protecting others to save yourselves and I, I think he's so he's so striking there. And you know, when he fights Manzo at the end, he does. You know, he he's like, "Stop beating your daughter." Uh, <laughs> you said it, he does take a while to to actually yeah. step in and do that. But I think that's actually, I think that's one of that is because it's sort of a cinematic necessity in a way, which is weird to say. But I mean, it, it, but but I think. <laughs> In a weird way, there is sort of a cinematic uh, cinematic necessity that it be drawn out a little further, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but gosh, I mean, Takashi Shimura. I think my favorite films of Kurosawa's are when he and Toshiro Mifune are in the film yeah. together. I think they really are just sort of a perfect pairing. You look at something like Drunken Angel. You, you know, didn't see Stray Dog yet, have you? I haven't seen Stray Dog yet. I mean, you gotta watch that one. That, that one's a real shame watch on me one. for not having seen it. Shimura is so good in that. I yeah. love his character in that. Yeah, and you know, I think he's in Yojimbo as well, though they're not sort of directly involved with each other in that movie. But um, I just think something about those two being together is just, it's really powerful on screen uh-huh. i'd say denzel's um comparable scene yeah. i would say is his last oh, yeah, like comfort his confrontation with bogue yeah peter sarsgaard by the way yes love him yeah he's and i so think good. he's really really good in this and you know he's that's so one good. thing he's that like he's that like scary intense but like kind of weird bad guy so unpredictable yeah. yeah that makes him even more scary the way he plays this character yeah I love and the, he did with it that's the one thing that both seven magnificent seven movies do that seven samurai does not is that there's no direct like, like one lead villain villain yeah there is sort of a head of the bandits but he's not much of a character in in the he's he's cool i mean he's kind of cool looking he wears the samurai armor which is interesting i oh, thought that yeah, was yeah. a really mm-hmm. interesting element was that he he wore the full samurai armor where the samurai did not i thought that was really pretty cool but he's got you know like the big moon thing on his helmet and everything yeah but eli wallach uh plays 
plays that character in the original Seven, uh, Magnificent Seven, uh, which is kind of fun, especially if you're a fan of uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think that was a Love that was a nice thing. Yeah, but I mean. Denzel yeah. is just such a I mean we all know that he's like one of the greatest actors of our uh our time currently right he, now he, um, he just he he's really so is. commanding in this role um he's kind of doing the same thing he's like he's very he's very kind of stoic and firm in like mm. what he needs from people and like getting across his point and you know uh, he's he's really good about that like like not being this is a kind of guy that you don't really want to make angry which he doesn't really let out until that last scene where he gets very scary because he's like very yes. intense and like feeling very emotional I don't know if we want to talk about I think part we should save it I think we should save <laughs> it because things, I want we'll to I want to talk about I want to talk about it in relation to the endings of both movies because I okay, think yeah, that's yeah. A, that makes sense. I think that's I think that's really important. But just in terms of like the similarities between like the the way that they are as leaders, I think yeah. is still pretty similar. Or there's like it really and I would is. say that, I would say that Faraday and Kikuchio, Kikuchio would, are, are more of a one the most one to one of the the rest of them. I agree with that because I know I know Chris Pratt gets a lot of shit and you know fine it, whatever he's just an, he's an actor in the movie. I like I. <laughs> I actually really like him. I think he's a really, I, I like him as a screen presence. I, I like, I'm, I've liked him more in this yeah, because he's doing something different than what we usually yeah. see him do. Something I, similar, but kind of I more. Lo- I think he's great as Star-Lord. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say, I think he's, I, I think he's fantastic. It's like so he's much fun, fun as funny. Star-Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you don't like Chris Pratt, you know, that's fine. I'm just going to go on record and say, you know, I like him. I like him. On Parks and Rec, I like him here. I like him in in uh, that movie. I mean, Jurassic World, whatever. But you know, <laughs> we're not talking about Jurassic World. So, but anyway. he definitely has a similar thing that Mifune is doing. He does. He supplies the humor, but he also has uh, poignant moments. You know? Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, I think Kikuchio is one of the most interesting characters uh, that I've that I've ever seen in a movie because he's so many things. You know, he's the he is comic, my, yeah. He's the comic relief. He also provides the emotional heart of the movie. Uh, he's the bridge between the samurai and the and the farmers. He's mm-hmm. he's the ultimately the the hero of the movie in a lot of ways. He's he's a buffoon and he's <laughs> sometimes and sometimes he is the greatest leader. Yeah, you know, I mean that part where he he sounds the alarm. And he yeah. starts yelling at all of them, you cowards, we're here to help you. kind of welcome you. we get. This is the kind of welcome we get. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, he's frightening. And like I said, mm-hmm. that scene where he's um, just screaming at the camera is like, do you know why, you know, these people are the way they are? Do you know why they're fearful? Because of you. It's just so, so good. I'm trying to find where I wrote that down because I I had something to say. But I mean, he also like when they do that the the, the at the beginning when they're sort of the getting the band together section of the movie where they try the the stick in mm-hmm. the doorway thing and the first guy you know sort of Testing catches him. his arm. The second one, I think I can't remember who it was. It was um it was Gorobe, one of the others. Gorobe, yeah. He uh he's it was either Gorobe or uh um, yeah he's the one that goes surely you jest. I love that. Yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't even approach the door. Doorway. Yeah. He's like, he's really good. Then Kikuchio is drunk. Oh, that's another one of my favorite moments. <laughs> and he knocks him over the head. It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was another one of my favorite moments um, between Gorobe and uh, Kambe after he, yeah. they hire him. When he says he, he takes the job because he's mostly intrigued by Kambe's character, you know, and like why he chose to take the job or whatever. And uh, I like Shamir's reaction to that as kind of like a little aw shucks thing. And he looks yeah. so cute. What, what's His that, facial what, expressions sometimes are very sweet. Was that Gorobe or was it? Um, I think it might have been Shichiroji that I'm thinking of there that did the Shirley You Jest thing. Because, no, that's Gorobe. It's in my because, notes. Oh, okay. Cause, because one of them I, I loved, it was like an old friend. I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm sorry. I kind of get those two characters mixed up because they have sort of a... Yeah, that's Shichiroji. Yeah. Okay. So he already knew him. He already knew Kambe. And he goes... That's... Um, uh, yeah. And he asks him, you know, there's no reward and there's no glory in this will you join us and he immediately says yes i mean i love that part <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so good or with uh he no he says uh this may be the one that kills us yeah. and he just smiles yeah and the thing about a lot of these other characters is there's not really a one-to-one comparison with them i mean is if anything oh. maybe maybe vincent d'onofrio's character is a little bit like that as someone that that chisholm i would say used uh, um, to know yeah um, I would say the the only one I could think of was um, Billy Rocks and uh, Cayuso, mm-hmm. just because they're like those masters at their skill, their particular skills that they right. have, you know? Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking too. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously the only Asian character in the movie in, in Magnificent Seven is sort of the comparison to the Master Swordsman <laughs> from <laughs> Seven Samurai. But I mean, it was great. I mean, I love that he kills him with knives. He, he teaches... I love the scene where he's teaching him how to use the knives and they <laughs> and just, just walk like, away <laughs> he does this little demonstration and he's just like killing those dummies he turns around and they're like we'll never be able to do that and he's like come back that's away. so yeah. funny <laughs> well and of course um i know we're kind of moving away from kikuchio here but say i was do you want to bring it back to kikuchio sure Okay, Kikuchio and, and Faraday, they are the most kind of similar in that they have that combination of being scary, but also being funny. But yes. what I noticed uh, was a huge difference that kind of not really soured to the, the, the viewing, but just kind of made it a little bit less emotionally involved of the Magnificent Seven, especially watching it after Seven Samurai, was what Kikuchio really brings to the story is his connection to the villagers. Yeah. He's the one, like you said, he's the one that has the strongest connection to him. And some of my favorite little moments are because he's he's also the character that you would not expect to be right. that kind of liaison for the samurai, you know, because right. he is when we first see him, like they don't even want him to join. Like they, I also love that scene where they've got their their samurai. And it's like, oh, I guess we won't have a seventh one, and he just like keeps following them, and yeah, <laughs> and um, you, you kind of get that right from the beginning too when we first meet uh Kambe because he's Kikuchio is there and he's he's doesn't say anything but he's watching like him get his hair cut and he's obviously mm-hmm. very he admires this guy you know and that's kind of why he follows him even though he kind of acts like a big tough guy when he does, Kambe yeah. finally asks him like what do you want and he's like well I'm a samurai too you know that kind of thing but you can tell he's just trying he's just like putting on like the little tough guy act and he like he really admires this guy and wants to learn from him so he doesn't seem like he'll be like that person that could really make a connection with the people but you know as we find out later that he does have that personal thing and that makes him want to you know have a connection with these people that he grew up a farmer too yeah. and that he 
he had a similar thing happen where his parents were killed when you know he was just a baby but yeah those the I, the scenes especially him and the kids is just yes, like that's exactly the what sweetest, I was say. Yes. the I sweetest like when they're it. we want rice we want rice and like what I, I love about watching watching him do it but then also watching the other samurai just like laughing at him like yeah. making the kids laugh it's just like it's i love those parts and when he calls them when he calls them little piss pants and he yeah. asks them if they have like a hot sister or something it's so right. <laughs> it's like it's perfect for his character because it's like kind of wrong but it's hilarious and the kids love him and all the, the villagers yeah. really really respond to him and i think that's such a great touch for for his character who's uh, uh, could be seen as just like you know uh, wild and unpredictable and yeah, yeah like a buffoon like not really take him seriously i think it's that personal connection that he has that makes him so uh, so intense and those like the during the last battle yes uh, and you know that's the one sort of sword kill in the movie important sword kill that's not shown in slow motion is when uh he kills the lead bandit uh which is interesting I, I don't know wh- why I thought of that, but there are like three main, you know, samurai killing someone with a sword moments. And there's the first one with Kambe and the mm. uh, guy in the The guy the that takes a kid hostage in the barn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then there's Kyuzo in his duel. And then the mm. third yeah. one is, is Kikuchio. So in a sense, it's comparing him to um, the master samurai of the film. Because the other samurai are kind of like, hey, I'm a bad swordsman, but I'm a, I'm a, I'll keep you, I'll chop wood for you. You know, I mean, th- that kind of thing. That's or Hihachi. Keep, that's, keep my you in, that's my other favorite. Yeah, exactly. Hihachi <laughs> is wonderful. It keep you in good spirits. You know, that kind of thing, you know, or, or mm-hmm. I'm a particularly good planner. I can help you with the layout of the plan and all that stuff. But, you know, the master samurai are Kambe and Kyuzo, who are swordsmen. They are um, sort of masters of their craft. They seek to, uh, you know, Kambe describes Kyuzo Kyuzo as... yeah. Just wanting his only obsession is mastering his, his pushing the limits of his abilities. A man obsessed only with testing the limits of his skill. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's. I wrote it down. That's, I wrote down the exact quote. I, I did too. I did too, and I didn't have time to find it. But I, I, I and that's important because Kikuchio is always throughout the film. He's the not quite a samurai samurai. Yeah. You know, he's got the big giant sword, like he's you know compensating for something okay um, i noticed I that too i was like that, is that just me that seems that's like the bigger. point that's the point i mean it's this it's this big massive sword it's like hey i'm a samurai it's like no you're not um and he has you know like the fake family tree that he bought mm-hmm. you know that says he's 13 years old so we don't even know if it's his real name we don't even know if Kikuchio they just, yeah they just name. call him kikuchio because yeah. that was his name that was a name on the tree like he doesn't even know what yeah. his he says he doesn't even know what yeah. his name is right which could very well be true because he was because of the way he grew up when yeah. he was a baby yeah um then of course their banner um is the six circles with one triangle and the triangle is quote unquote lord kikuchio um mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's until he dies he's sort of not quite a samurai yeah but in the end i think there's this sort of sense that he because he's buried on the same hill in the same way as the three others and he is sort of honored above them all in a way by the end. 
And I think that it, because he he truly earned the title, unlike the young one, Katsushiro, who was born into it. Yeah. You know, they talk about how he was born into a samurai family and, and these kinds of things and into privilege, where Kikuchio had to earn his way into it through his own honor. And I think that is one of the key themes of the movie is that this is a movie about honor and about earned honor and bestowed honor and what it really means to have it or to lose it i i think there there's all kinds of of different in both movies all kinds of different sort of definitions and displays of masculinity and what that means you have the the samurai that they try to hire that are like trying to be these big macho dudes who just like push them to the side and say are you kidding you insult me like this but then you have someone like kambe who is willing to dishonor himself by cutting his top knot for the sake of a child. I I think, and that is where true honor is. I think that's the big theme of this movie is you do something because it is the right thing to do. And that's what makes you a quote unquote, a man. Uh, I think that is a theme of the film. Yeah. Those other samurai that won't work for them because they're just farmers. Like, aren't, aren't those exactly the kind of people that you should be using your skills to protect? If you have the means and the ability to take care of someone weaker than yourself and you don't do it that is dishonorable is i think yeah. the, the big theme of this movie it's a good point and yeah. he has none of them have any reason to do it they're not getting any money out yeah. of it they're not getting any glory out of it at the end of the movie you see that they have no glory whatsoever they're practically ignored and shunned by the village i mean it's like we're done with you we're on with going on with our lives bye yeah i mean that's that's hard to take yeah. <laughs> when watching Seven Samurai for me. It is. And that's why the original Magnificent Seven changed the ending. They didn't like that. <laughs> that You can't do that in Hollywood. So anyway, but that's a little bit down the road. Um, we're still talking about <laughs> characters. Talking so, about the ending, right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can see, like you said, Kyuzo, played by uh, Saiji Miyaguchi. I apologize for any Japanese speakers uh, in our listenership is probably the most like Billy Rocks played by Lee Byung-hoon who I is as the master gunslinger and he you know he kills the guy with his with his uh whatever they the, are I don't the, know the pin in his hair I think that's they I think call that's it a hairpin cool but it's like some kind of it's like it's not a hairpin uh, it's like a it's like some kind of sharp uh, it's a spike seems like is, a, it is. <laughs> is that okay yeah some kind of a specialty weapon that you know he's yeah. mastered he has beautiful hair, by the way. Love his hair in this movie. He does. He does. Um, and I also love, like, he kind of goes along with um, Ethan Hawke's character, yes. um, Goodnight Robichaux, who I... It's he's the third kinda lead the of the movie. In- yeah. Yeah, he's the most interesting, I think, one of all of them to me. I think so. Yeah, I agree. Because you don't really know exactly. He's got this kind of the same thing as um, as Kambe a little bit. He's got something in common with, with him, like, because he has a similar speech towards um, the end, like, right before uh, Bogues men are gonna come into the town and it's like the the fighting and they're like there's just too he it seems like he's got like ptsd from war yeah and so I he because so. you get that in one of those battles where uh he just he can't shoot anybody yep. anything and yeah, I, um, I know even, Faraday's there to take the shot take the take shot, shot. You take got the him. shot take there's, the shot. there's like guy there's a guy that's getting away you got yeah. it take the shot and he's like uh billy you know he's a uh sharpshooter like a mm-hmm. master you know with the guns and like he's probably the best at all of them even though another thing i love about this movie like i was loving the gunplay and stuff in westerns is just like 
there's so much cool stuff like with yeah. Denzel and you know, Chris Pratt the, and them, all of them spinning them yeah, and just like yeah spinning <laughs> the guns and putting them into that yeah it's cool I mean I'll, it's cool I'll, stuff <laughs> it's, it's very it's very modern kind of cutting right. and, and and action um, that but you it don't looks get cool. yeah and it looks cool that you don't and that's the, one of the things I thought about Seven Samurai when I first saw it I expected sort of this wild sword play movie and it is and not really that not. movie yeah at all. And it's it's very different. I mean, Yojimbo has more of that, but even that doesn't have that much. You know, I, I, I guess when I thought samurai movies, I was thinking something that came later, you know, that came like in the 60s when they were doing sort of these these kinds of movies that were frankly sort of influenced by kung fu movies where you had lots of crazy sword play and wild action kind of stuff. Um, but that came later. But Yeah, I love this stuff with him. And he's yeah. he's the character that's got i think the most um the the scariest kind of reputation you know he's known that when they first meet him um you know they're doing like a little demonstration thing with billy and another guy or they've they've bet on them in like a in a fight and um when goodnight is going around and collecting their winnings and the one guy wants to um like not pay him and he just he finds out that that's that's goodnight robisha you know he just he immediately is like oh i'm sorry sir here i'll pay you double sure yeah exactly (laughs) You know, they, so you know they they kind of set up that he's got that kind of like scary reputation, reputation. and, and yet you know so he's good. yeah and yet he's um you, you can tell that this character is has probably definitely been through some shit and yeah, so he's there's very, a lot going on underneath the surface of yeah. his performance and that's one of the things i really like about ethan hawk in this movie i think if i had to pick the one performance that's my favorite in this one it's probably ethan hawk uh i think what he's think so. doing is as, as good as everybody is, I think he's just got something going on that I think it's in the writing that really gives him a, a pathos that maybe yeah. isn't in all the other characters as much until the end with, with Denzel's character. And I think the way that his character is presented to um, Ethan Hawks, I mean, that's kind of the movie's comment on violence. Like you were talking about, yeah. because you know, the, the farmers, you know, they're just farmers. Like they, they say, you know, they make a big thing about how like, we're not fighters. Like we, we don't know what we're doing. They can't even, half of them can't even like hold a gun. Right. You know, and when they get into that battle and like watching them watching the villagers or the townspeople or whatever sorry they're villagers in seven samurai they're more like townspeople, townspeople yeah. i would say in yeah. 97 watching them um get cut down by the bad guys is like so much more heartbreaking to me you know especially with how brutal bogues guys are like i yeah. said like they they hatchet a woman in the back in the first Just scene of the right movie. at the right in that opening sequence yeah that's like, really wow. really tough stuff because i mean they're the one of the things about seven samurai that is interesting interesting is there's a long time where they're waiting they're not sure when the bandits are going to come back whereas in seven samurai or seven i'm sorry magnificent seven <laughs> yeah that's gonna happen like, a lot. <laughs> you got seven days tops before they're back here mm-hmm. you know so they're like you got to do this quick so there's no so there's not so much like one of the criticisms about that i hear about seven samurai and i don't agree with it i just for the record is that it meanders too long on uh things like planning out no. the the, nope. the 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 lay <laughs> of the land you know because there's that whole thing 
that is so key where they're where they're on the map and they're showing you the different points this yes. is the, where you are you never are lost in yeah. in seven samurai you know where you're at because i mean you've been mm-hmm. shown it you know how many people are dead they're always crossing yes <laughs> off I love the, that. yeah. that's one of the best things about i think it's just it's just so perfectly laid out but also that middle section you really get to know the villagers and you see the you see the relationship between the samurai and the villagers grow for example i mean at yeah. first they're freaking out then pretty soon you got kambe holding one of their kids in that yes. meeting i love that i love that stuff. i love I mean, that part yeah and it's so beautifully done the way that each of the samurai have their own like little groups of villagers yeah. too you can see like a camaraderie building between them and oh what really pisses off kikuchio is when his buddy the villager buddy of his gets killed and he just kind of goes nuts and goes after everyone else <laughs> you know and another great moment is when they're having like a, a cheering contest between the samurai yeah. and their their groups of villagers because so um, i think it's we can do better than that yeah is like trying to like amp up his people first cry. and then <laughs> kikuchi's like we can do better than that let's like, come on yeah yeah I, I, that's and so you really wonderful. feel it and you really feel like wonderful. the the bond that's been building up between mm-hmm. the two of them that's why that's that's a lot of what i was missing in the magnificent seven i noticed i mean they they yeah. tr- they they try to they try to like um give a little bit more character building to like certain people sure which i mean you don't really get that in seven samurai you don't get like except for like yohei like that guy oh, yes. oh, that's another funny part of the movie yeah. the guy with the the crappy horse, the horse. that kikuchio has well, I mean, to there's, ride <laughs> there's such a great joke in that too where kikuchi is like i can ride any horse and they show him get on the horse and it gallops up he goes behind the wall and and he comes uh, out the other side and it's just and the, the horse and he starts running after it i mean that's it's very funny and that's one of the things about it it's like when you hear something like oh seven samurai you're thinking homework challenge but you no, know just just like so when fun. we watched just like when we watched and discussed citizen kane it's like this is just a very entertaining film mm-hmm. uh, every moment in this movie is made to entertain the audience and i think that is mm-hmm. something that uh people forget about when when they're thinking classic yeah. film uh, and that's a shame because it's pure it's pure entertainment that is got a massive brain behind it you know is what you have going on and that's that's wonderful yeah so we have main villagers there with them and with monzo and shinu obviously but there's more of a connection between the the samurai and them whereas in magnificent seven there's always a distance there's there's very much a a disconnect with like between like uh, we're doing it for these people you know um in magnificent seven doesn't feel like that it kind of feels like the main person in magnificent seven we haven't mentioned yet is um emma cullen yes played by Haley bennett who i I couldn't think of like where (laughs) that's true (laughs) she's beautiful She's beautiful. I couldn't think at first of where I'd seen her before where she was awesome. She was in that movie Swallow. Did you see that? I haven't seen Swallow. I've been wanting to. Ah, I've never she's seen it. So good. Yeah. But she's awesome in this and but there's still yeah, there's a there's like a disconnect. It seems like the They're doing their thing and the, they're doing uh, their thing and she's doing her thing yeah. with the rest of the townspeople. Yeah. Which um that kinda of put me off a little bit. <laughs> you know, it kinda of felt like they were le- even though um she has some great moments um with the two of them. Like, because um I like how Chisholm, you know, says like we work for her, you know, which is kind of yep. a big deal, you know, being a woman in this time period. And yes. she has a great moment where um the the other townspeople are like 
like, well, who, who told you to go out and hire these people? And she says, I was the only one with the balls to do it. Right. <laughs> that's great. That's a great moment for which, her. Which, you know, Ethan Hawke just sort of laughing <laughs> at that. They, they, they that laugh at. <laughs> big old gold tooth in there. I love that. I know. <laughs> now, Ethan Hawke's character for me, though, there, there are two things that happen that I think, uh, uh, first of all, I think it's fantastic. The part where he's like training a bunch of the townspeople to shoot and they're all completely missing the mannequins and Faraday comes over and says, Hey, we need to give him a little inspiration. How about you show him how it's done? Well, and he, and he mm. tells them who he was. I mean, how yeah. he killed, you know, however many people at the battle of Antietam. I mean, and as was common, I mean, he was a Confederate, you know, and that's part of our history uh, is that there were Confederate, I guess, war heroes, <laughs> but, and they often went West after the war. So he demonstrates that he actually can't shoot. And I think yeah. that is one of the, that's, I mean, that in a way compares him to uh, Cuso, you know, because, because he's Faraday has been kind of like good. giving him shit. Yeah. Like up until this, like, mm-hmm. can you like, be the guy that we know you are like we need you in this and he's but you know he's got other stuff going on obviously that makes it hard for him so i really like that scene i think that's good he just sort of hands him the gun and he just walks away you know he's like i I, Mm. it's it's the very much that i've had enough of violence (gasps) idea but then go (laughs) sorry just another comparison i just thought of that's another one-to-one comparison is the horses (laughs) Ah. in the movie because i love chisholm's horse so oh, much yeah i do too He'll like, that horse right. is fucking awesome that's right and he just off. says like go on go on horse and he just yeah. the horse actually he walks just away walks away i love that part i love that part. hot damn yeah that's so good and then he does like a thing with the horse uh, during one of the battles or like the he makes the horse like literally like like tap dance stomp on a yeah. guy to like finish yeah. him off that's pretty fucking cool too yeah. <laughs> i love that horse sorry <laughs> Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, but another thing about Goodnight, he does kind of set up the biggest cliche in the movie, too. Right. Um, and, and when he takes is, off. And- yeah, he leaves the night before the battle. You know he's going to come back of just course. at the right time. It's pretty cliched element, I got to say. And I was just like, uh, it's it's fine. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. I think that it's probably true to the character that they're creating yeah. there but it's a very hollywood moment <laughs> i gotta say it's, it's it's like we have seen this yeah. a billion times but you know um you kind of forgive it when it's ethan hawk you know in yeah. that uh, playing that character as well as he does another thing that's kind of cool um that i like um about this one uh yeah okay seven, seven samurai does spend a lot more time on the planning and preparation because the movie is three and a half hours long okay yep. this one is just over two hours so it's yep. pretty long, but it doesn't have time for all that stuff. One of the things that I love is like those preparation same, montages. Same with the original Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one of the things I love, like, um, I think I mentioned this in, when we were talking about like uh, the heist movies too. Like when you see oh, them. This, these are totally heist movies. When you see in them structure. like. Yeah, prepping for stuff, uh-huh. but you don't really know like how it's all going to play out until yep. the actual battle. I always love yep. that stuff. You know, yeah. you see them like with all the those big pieces of like sharp wood like what are they doing with that i love the way that they set up you know that they 
they funnel all the bad guys, you know, to the church, which is at the end of the, the road, you know, the main road of in this town. And they've got all those spikes set up around like, yep. like, oh, okay, that's so freaking cool. You know, preparation montages. I'm kind of big on those. They're kind of fun to me. They are, <laughs> <gotta> <laughs> are kind of fun. And just, One- it, I don't, I still don't really get what was with the painting of the pinwheels red. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know what the point of that was. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I, I realized as I was watching Seven Samurai again, I was like, hey, this is a heist movie, isn't it? I mean, sort of instruction in kind of, structure yeah. because you get your team together, you figure out what you're going to do, and then you do it and it doesn't quite go the way you expect it to but you get there in the end it's a heist mm-hmm. movie <laughs> you know yeah. um they and and especially seven samurai because it really lays out it's almost like you know for uh oceans 11 another n- numeral movie right um so that can that can be one of our sequels. I was I was saying there's se- all the, all the sequels to the Magnificent Seven, you know, the Hateful right. Eight, the Dirty Dozen, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, anyway, the Forty Seven Ronin. Um, anyway, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so sorry, got a little sidetracked there, but uh, you can see, you know, like the the whole planning stage stuff that they do in Ocean's Eleven, you know, totally being sort of inspired by Seven Samurai. <laughs> even more than yep. something like like uh, Rafifi or or Bob the Gambler, you know those sort of quintessential early heist films. Yeah. Anyway, okay, who else so, are we missing? Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. is Jack Horn. I don't know if there's really a one to one comparison with him. Like we said, he's kind of like the the person that because uh, Sam Chisholm knew him beforehand, right? Yeah. Uh, did I what did I interpret that right? So maybe a little bit like uh was it sorry the the names as much as, as much as i read them they shows you, i think it's um shishiroji. yeah yeah yeah, think, yeah yeah shishiroji so there's sort of that maybe that connects the two i think d'onofrio is so good uh he, in this i did not even recognize him i know when, when, so much of like, what he does i don't recognize him yeah he's yeah just that kind of character actor that he's a chameleon, can do yeah. that um, but yeah, I do love that. Um, I don't know if it's like the first time that they meet up with him. Oh okay, yeah, the, the, like the first time that they um, they go to his house and like there are those guys there that he kills again with like the hatchet desk. My God, like, right. so brutal. No. No, no. <laughs> and it's just the it's another one of those things where it's like you don't really it's a show me don't tell me kind of thing between sure. um, he and um, and Chisholm. They you can, yeah, you can definitely tell that they have some sort of history just from the looks that they exchange in that scene. Because I noticed like sure. Chisholm almost looks like he's gonna cry when Horn is kind of talking about like what I don't know I forgot what exactly he's he's going off on, but he's just like it's okay, man. We like we got you now is what um, you know Chisholm mm-hmm. is trying to tell him, and it's it's such a good moment between those two. Yeah, and he's doing a really interesting thing with his voice that just like gives mm-hmm. the the character just such a I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it, he's not doing his normal voice he's just like he's a little bit more like more high-pitched and like yeah. just like again like another character who's obviously like been through some stuff that you can tell and that the, yeah. the guys really care about and seem to want to protect you know sure. it's really it's really upsetting when he uh, gets killed i think he i would say he yeah. maybe he's kind of the same as Hihachi or, or yeah. gorbe in a way i would that yeah. would say there's that's the comparison yeah now I, I suppose the closest character we have to um, Katsu, Katsushiro is Vasquez, maybe? Though 
Though the thing is, um, kind of just because he's one of the survivors, <laughs> for one thing, Vasquez. Um, is, yeah, Vasquez is yeah. kind of more brutal. <laughs> yeah, <and> mean and <laughs> and and the thing is, Vasquez is not Katsushiro is is just sort of wide eyed and young, and yeah. he's he's a hero worshiper. I mean, he, as soon as he yeah, sees, yeah, he goes from Kambe Kambe to, to Kyuzo. Kyuzo, and he's just like, I've wanted to tell you, you are the most magnificent person I've yeah. ever met. <laughs> it's like I must follow you it's like you don't want to follow me i'm a ronin and you know it's like <laughs> it's, it's just like i will i will do anything for you and i uh, uh, you know early, earlier on when they say he says no you can't come along you go off and you know learn learn some things live some life first and then you know we'll see you later kind of thing and then he just sort of sk- skulks off you know <laughs> into the corner <laughs> and then they're talking about, okay, let's see here. We have six. We only need one more. And then he comes in and says, wait a minute, six? So I could, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah, like the most joyful, joyful <laughs> moment. It's so, it's it's actually, it's really kind of moving. There's nothing like that with Vesquez, you know? Not he's, really, no. You know, he's living in the house of a dead man. <laughs> you know, he's ah, squatting, so squatting in the house of a dead man. He's, he's He has no... He, like ropes Emma <laughs> when they, they yeah. come in and find him. There's no hero worship going on. No. Uh, he, he ends up, it ends up being a little bit more... He seems this, really untrustworthy at first. Do you know what it ends up being a little bit like? It ends up being a little bit... Him and Faraday kind of end up being a little bit like Legolas and Gimli in The Lord of the Rings, where they're just sort of these rival guys that don't really like each other because they're an elf and a dwarf, and now <laughs> and, then, and then they sort of become these close friends, you know, just through this friendly competition with each other. I mean, it's yeah. kind of how it feels to me. Uh, I, that just sort of came off the top of my head, but it's, it's yeah, because they're constantly it's fun. I mean, they're just kind yeah, of always, he and he and Faraday are always like insulting each other, ripping on each other. Yeah. yeah, but by the end, Faraday gets uh, he gets really upset, or he gets mm-hmm. he's very really moved, like when Faraday uh, is killed. Yeah, kind of the same thing. I think Faraday's death is a lot like Kikuchio's in in some respects. Yeah, because you know sure. he goes out there, he gets shot, and he just kind of still keeps going for that little mm-hmm. bit you know to sort of finish the job to get to where he's going yeah mm-hmm. he's got an idea that's a good yeah, moment and he goes out yeah. in a literal blaze of glory in this too <laughs> I, I gotta admit I think glory. The, there are a lot more explosions in in <laughs> the magnificent seven um, he has the perfect line too i've always wanted to blow something up which yeah. i think a lot of people can relate to you know that's such a perfect line for this that that whole closing stuff kind of reminds me of uh, rio bravo <laughs> you know where they're, where they're throwing all the dynamite and stuff it's just kind of i don't know it has it has it seems to feel more like that than like the seven samurai which is fine i mean it's it's a western sure. it makes sense but i think that ultimately faraday's sacrifice is kind of a cool scene yeah i mean he's already gonna die i mean he's already been shot he's dying but it's very true to his character to just kind of, you know, stick out his middle finger one more time, you know, and and end it all that way. And just another great just like moment of camaraderie, like between the the seven of them is when, um, you know, yeah, Faraday's been shot already and he just kind of rides out. Billy and Goodnight are right there, like taking cover, for, you know, covering him while he's riding out to the Gatling gun and yeah. cheering him on to get it done. So. I like just little moments like that I like between the characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think Red Harvest is a really cool character too. 
I love Red Harvest. You know, it's it's a depiction of a Native American as a warrior and not as a... <laughs> Sometimes there was, there was sort of like this um, tendency to make Natives really passive <laughs> for a while mm-hmm. and some some uh, there's so many different tribes that were in north america that had so many different kinds of personalities so to paint them all one way or another is not right. fair i have a little bit of trouble now with dances with wolves because of that you know because the sioux were one of the most valiant warrior tribes there ever was. And they're kind of shown mm. as these pacifists. Uh, and it just really wasn't the case. I mean, they were, I mean, they wiped out Custer's army <laughs> at the little bighorn. This was a tough group of people. Um, so, and, and I think Prey, the new Predator movie, does a really good job sort of showing that kind of character that was such a cool movie it's yes. a cool movie that's Loved a good it. movie so i mean that's Loved a little it. bit off the beaten path from what we're talking about but great moment between with chisholm like immediately yeah immediately yeah. accepting him like yeah absolutely um, I believe he's comanche because he can speak comanche mm-hmm. both of them just like immediately warming to each other and of course i mean the obvious thing is denzel washington is black so I mean, mm-hmm. so there's there's this. It's right that he's the one who approaches because he's going <laughs> he's going to probably have uh, at least a little bit better time of it than if say have Jack more in common corn with- <laughs> you know approached him you know because you have this big fat white guy you know that that's gonna probably be- has a little bit more in common with the Native American than the white guy <laughs> exactly exactly that's that's uh, yeah or or Ethan or you know, obviously and that's one of the things of course that's um I I like about this Magnificent Seven remake that you don't get in. In the original is the diversity of the racial diversity of the cast. You don't get in a lot of westerns. No, you don't get in a lot of westerns time. because, and and I think movies like Posse, for example, tried to depict. You know, yes, there were black cowboys. <laughs> this yep. is a real thing. Um, I haven't seen Posse, so I mean that's just off the top of my head. But Denzel's character in this is is based off of I think a real yeah black bounty right. hunter. Yeah, that's my understanding too. And and you know obviously uh, see here Vasquez is a is. Mexican. Mexican, and then mm-hmm. you have uh, a, a Comanche warrior as well, and it's just like this is. Uh, it's nice to see. Oh, oh, and of and of, and of course I forgot uh, Billy, Billy as well. Billy <laughs> being Asian, because right. uh, you know of, uh, and they talk about how he was escaped from the railroad. The railroads were built by largely yep. by Chinese immigrants. Yes, um, they were. Um, in not very good conditions with not very good wages. Uh, yep. so it was, it was an honest, it's, there's some honest depictions here. I think about that the West was much more diverse than, uh, it's exactly given yeah. credit for in a lot of older films. But I think this is definitely more historically accurate in terms of like what it was actually like, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I haven't studied the real West that much <laughs> to be honest, but I, but I do have found yeah. it interesting to learn more about, um, you know, things like the fact like black cow, Cowboys, for example, black gunslingers uh, in in the West was a thing, a very common thing, in fact. 
And of course, then another thing that's interesting about it, too, is you have uh, at least one person who definitely fought as a Confederate uh, in the Civil War. Faraday makes a comment about <laughs> the War of Northern Aggression, uh, which makes me think he was either uh, a veteran or the child of a veteran, maybe too young during the war as it was actually happening, uh, but was a Southerner. There's some of that kind of thing. And then you, their leader is black and likely a former slave, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you get, do, do we get that impression? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> they don't say, you know, they I don't really think say I, much. And I think they that's give him too much of his background, except yeah. about his family. Yeah. Which is another thing that's, I think really true about, uh, seven samurais. You don't really know backstories for any of these characters. It's the here and now that matters, except for Kikuchio. You know, that Kikuchio mm -hmm. grew up, um, as an orphan, uh, and was a scrapping on his own kind of guy. But all the other samurai were samurai in some capacity, serving a castle or a master of some sort. And, are not anymore that's pretty much what we know about them but it doesn't matter i mean what matters is the here and now for these stories yeah so the diversity of them also kind of emphasizes kind of the same thing that you get in both movies mm -hmm. um just the fact that this is a very like ragtag group of yep. people that have to come together and work together and use their different skills even if they conflict you know with each other yep. to you know do something for these people that really need their help and need the use of their skills and that they eventually have a camaraderie with each other at the end which is very sweet <laughs> yeah know, just, i think so that's i think i love that now when it comes down to the endings of these okay because the title the there and seven samurai originally released in the united states as the magnificent seven which i think i mentioned already mm -hmm. uh so the I, that title the magnificent seven i think meant to be truthful but also a little bit ironic because in a sense none of all of uh, look at both films they are sort of the outcasts of society in the in the world's or society's view are sort of slumming it <laughs> by doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Or they're dishonoring themselves in some way. But in reality, these or are they've the been, people. Yeah. They've yeah. been like kind of brought down from what they used yeah. to be known as. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're not, they're not by those exactly standards. exactly magnificent. Yeah, exactly. By those standards, they're not magnificent. However, because of their true honor, by the fact that they are, especially in the original, doing this for no glory, very little, mm -hmm. little to no money for anonymity, not for any sort of notoriety. As, and they know that they could die. They, they know that they could probably die. Probably some of them will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're putting their lives on the line for people they don't know. That being the honorable thing, and they do it simply because it is right, and they have the means to do it. That's the only reason they do it. That is what makes them magnificent, mm -hmm. which is why I struggle with the ending to The Magnificent Seven. Yes. Because in the end, it becomes a revenge story for yeah. Chisholm. And and the scene is so well done. It's so well acted. It's so... yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's frustrating to me because it's so well done. It's just 
it undermines the entire idea behind the yeah. Magnificent Seven story. Because the big takeaway that you get from the end of Seven Samurai, when it's the farmers are planting their next crops, they're yeah. playing music and singing and they're happy. You know, they finally got their land back and it's the samurai that are left on their own to stare at those four mounds yeah. of the people that they love lost and they're being ignored by them and yet they still say Kambe still says even though and uh, Chino uh, rejecting Katsushiro at the end yeah which is oh. heartbreaking <laughs> that's um, so tough to watch all that Kambe still says at the end that it wasn't you know, it wasn't our battle to win. Like it's yeah. not we're, we're we can't take the win for this. It's a win for them. It was about them and protecting yeah. them. Well, that last line. I mean, when he says in the end we lost this battle too, and he's just kind of kind of looks at him and says, "What what what do you mean by that?" And he says, "The victory belongs to them." Not to yeah, us. Yeah, because it was for them, not for us. Yeah. That's direct opposition. <laughs> yeah. It, it really That's in direct opposition is. to the ending of Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Where Chisholm takes it completely personally and almost takes away the victory from the townspeople. I mean, Emma steps in at the last minute, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the confrontation between Chisholm and Bogue um, at the end at the church. Yeah. It's a really cool set again, by the way, with the burned out church and everything. Yeah. And he's he's playing with him you know like shooting his hand you know shooting the gun shooting him in the leg and you know kind of remind and slowly reminding him of you know who he is and what his men did his family and he would have and he's very intense and he's very you can tell he's like really really angry and he's ready to take his revenge he would have completely taken it away from the people and killed Bogue himself if Emma hadn't stepped in and yep. and shot him yep which i think is it's both good that in the end it was the townspeople who got their revenge that they deserved on him or that they were ultimately victorious yep. but it wouldn't have happened <laughs> he he would totally would have done it himself and and the if thing she hadn't, is if she hadn't been there and the thing is that it's sort of undermines the reason why he did it in the first place yeah you know because it's like he steps in and, and it's like oh yeah oh who who was it who oh that's the guy that killed my family and tried to hang me so mm-hmm. i'm gonna do this for revenge and it's like that's just not you should have said you should have said that at the beginning i know i'm just like this this doesn't and and, and frankly i mean and i like the movie a lot but frankly that just yeah. kind of pissed me off I got to admit, I was just like, I, I was like, okay, do your own thing. I, I get that. But I, I hate a movie that undermines its own themes, that it just does, undermines yeah. its own story. Because the, the Not Okay movie, I thought it did exactly that. That that movie that was on Hulu, I think it was called I Not the Okay. the end kind of helped make up for that. Yeah, but <laughs> even that, even that <laughs> a just bit. barely. Maybe not and, enough. But, right? but, but, but for me, I was like. It just undermines the its own ideas and themes by doing this, and I, I mean, because it gives how a, does he? It gives a motive, and I'm kind of like I, I hate that there has to be a freaking motivation for everything. Yeah, why can't you do something because it's the right thing? Yeah, how does he rally the other guys by yeah. you know saying like they're just farmers, like they need our help? Yeah, that kind I of mean, thing. like this is this is one bad guy that's I, gonna take these people's land and like. Sh- we can stop them. It, do you know what makes me wonder? It makes me wonder if we have become so cynical as a people, as just as humanity, 
that we can we no longer do something, nice do something or... just because it's the right thing to do. We have to have some sort of selfish motivation. Yeah. And that scares me more than anything in either in true. any film that we watch, you know. I'm I'm getting a little preachy here. I don't mean to be. <laughs> But that, that's very isn't, true. But but yeah. isn't that frightening thought? Because uh, I mean, it's like, have we reached this point? And and I think I hope you know that there is some sense where we as humanity can find that kind of honor that we can seek the kind of honor of of that is displayed in Seven Samurai, where you do something right. just because that is what should be done, and not because I'm going to get something out of it. Where you don't uh, do something nice and then film yeah. it and put it on Twitter, right? Yes. <laughs> where you just anyway. do something nice and don't say anything about it. Sure. Well, there's okay. <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah, that's that's a kind of a big thing, with, I, I, especially I, with just, social media. People doing things. Yeah supposedly because it's the right thing to do for another person it was like but you're also putting it on social media and you don't really have to do that yeah there <laughs> you could just is, do the nice thing there's a very wise saying from a very long time ago from a very wise dude that says when you give don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing be that secretive about it do it in private oh well, sorry to take you into the theology corner here but it was jesus who said that okay what? but it's I had not no idea. Yeah, it is I got not that. Yes. okay. Good. It is not a bad. It's not a bad way to go, though. I mean, no. come on. I mean, whether you believe in some sort of deity of Jesus or not, that's beside the point. I think the I, that that is such a key thing that I think we are missing. That we have to take credit. That we have to have some sort of glory or whatever. It's just it's tough for me to to see to take right now, and I I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not saying that I'm pure of motive in this, of course. But I think watching this movie just made me realize, you know, to be to a, a goal to be a person of honor, you know, the way that Cucuccio or or Kambe is is just like such an amazing idea. Mm. I have hope for humanity, <laughs> misplaced or not. <laughs> There's still a small sliver of hope, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that change in the ending. That's. I mean, that, honestly, that's probably just a result of that's yeah that's kind of more what audiences are used to seeing and like that's it seems like that's what we get a lot more in these kind of movies we don't get the kind of bittersweet ending that you get in seven samurai because what else happens at the end of magnificent seven the three that are left they leave right away they just get on their horses and ride off and the the townspeople watch them go like thank you so much in glory for yeah yeah, for what you did for us and it's not about the townspeople and their Mm -hmm. victory and the fact that they got their land back from this guy who was obviously more than willing to slaughter every single one of them just to get land exactly you know it it was you know it's not about their victory in the end especially with the voiceover thing that they do with um the the graves the graves uh, which is uh, a nice little nod maybe to seven samurai it is the four the the four graves graves. but they're but they're they're in glory but it's about them and yeah what they did which yes what they did was magnificent yeah yes that they you know put their own lives on the line forced. for these people yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i like it, it was <laughs> magnificent <laughs> 
I don't know. I kind of dug it. I it's was fine. like, there it's you fine. go. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yes, what they did was magnificent because they, they put their lives on the line for these people that they didn't even know. But uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, here's, I, 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 I'm going back to the ending of Stone Samurai. Yeah, the victory belongs to, to these the people. people who you know, found something within themselves to stand up when they couldn't do it before, when they let themselves get beat down by these guys so many times before and finally stood up and were able to fight back for themselves. Yeah. And you know, I even think okay. Now this is this is me getting getting maybe a little bit. If if this if this is too much of a downer, you know, I'm sorry. But part of me wonder. Okay, so the the three remaining samurai at the end of Seven Samurai, they walk off. No one even knows they leave. Yeah. I mean, they are just they walk. They leave quietly. They let the celebration happen, and they are off to their next thing. Whether it's together, most likely separately. Yeah. Um, there and then they show those four mounds on top of the graveyard with the swords sticking out. And part of me wonders if the rain's just going to come along, wash those away. The swords are going to be added to the armory with all the other samurai mm-hmm. paraphernalia that they've taken. That Monzo's house has been holding for years from the other raids of previous bandits and samurai. You know, and and that's that's a that's dark a pretty downer ending. look at it. That's a downer <laughs> look at it, but. But I honestly think that might be part of the idea, too, because soon these these men and what they did will be forgotten. Are they or is it going to be the story that the villagers are going to tell for generations that to come the other, that they've that survived? That's the other you know? option. That's the other option. But at the same time, we know that they've survived raids before, sure. you know, and that's one of the things that I think is really powerful about Kikuchio coming in in the armor and giving that speech mm-hmm. is... You know, we're just another link in this story that keeps happening to them. Uh, it's it's uh, it's dark, but now I mean they're prepared. These yeah. these people have they've these villagers have have uh, learned to be from these guys how to be prepared for the next time it happens, if it happens again. It's bittersweet, like you said. Yeah, and you can look at it so many different ways. I love the ambiguity of the ending too. Uh, I think uh, I haven't seen the 1960 Magnificent Seven in a while, but as I recall, um, <laughs> uh, the the youngin, I can't remember who plays the youngin in that movie. Sort of, <laughs> sort of the the Katsushiro character. I've only seen it once, yeah. many years ago too. I yeah, don't remember. <laughs> but as I recall, he either stays in the village with the girl, or they ride off together, or something. Um, it, it's a much more Hollywood ending, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that's stupid," <laughs> because I had seen because I had seen the Seven Samurai so a couple of times before seeing uh, Magnificent Seven. <laughs> um, but it's it's I, I think uh, Curse. I was like, "I'm doing the anti Hollywood ending. I'm just not going to do that." And I think there's a reality to this because I mean, she, is she going to leave her family? This is everything she knows. Yeah, this is you're everything right. She know knows. Yeah, you're right. I'm just reading the Wikipedia on that. Yeah, one decides to uh, to stay behind to be with the girl that he yeah. met up with. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's a very <laughs> Hollywood right. ending. But he he's like he can't stay. These are they yeah. are from a uh, part of it is is a commentary on class too because they are from different worlds well i mean shino says it too like i'm just a farmer and you're a samurai yeah yeah i mean seven samurai what a revelation this watch through was 
Kind of for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like uh, on an episode that's going to air after this, I'm going to say a different title than Seven Samurai for my favorite Kurosawa movie. I I may need to change my mind. I, I, sorry to say, it's, it's like this movie is just the level of brilliance is off the charts. It feels like another one of those too obvious an answer. Like, yeah. Seven Samurai, one of the greatest movies of all time is is your favorite. Like, you can't have a better favorite. I know. I still love Rashomon. Oh, yeah. Uh, And the answer I gave was, you know, Ron, I think is, is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. It's certainly the best of his late period movies. Um, it's, it's incredible. But again, like movies are known as kind of being the greatest of all time for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Seven Samurai has plenty of damn good reasons for being considered and, one of the greatest the, ever. And I saw, I saw a rant on, uh, <laughs> somewhere a video a youtube or a twitter video that's like a director can only have one masterpiece that is no. by definition and i'm just like have you seen kurosawa's filmography i'm sorry <laughs> i mean it's like i don't think it's possible to say that this movie that one single film is his definitive masterpiece because he just made too many movies that could be defined as masterpieces I think. Or as epics, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and what's interesting, like we said, this movie is uh, uh, Seven Samurai is an epic in the sense of length, but it's very intimate. It's very character-driven. It only takes place in that in those two yeah. villages. That's really the only settings of this movie and sort of the forest in between, you know? That's it. That's what really surprised me about yeah. this last watch through was how intimate it was and yeah. maybe not as action-based as I no. kind of remembered that but, you would think of when boring. you think of the word it's, epic. Yeah, yeah, but it's never boring. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Per, it is incredibly compelling for, I mean, it's, you know, the thor- the shortest uh, three and a half hour movie you've ever seen right. kind of thing. <laughs> that it's one of those. I, I can't think of a frame that I would cut from this movie to, I mean, obviously that wasn't true in 1960 when they decided to remake it into an American film because they cut out a lot of, you know, like the laying out of getting the lay of the land stuff there's a lot more urgency to hey the bandits are going to be here anytime now they're Mm going to be here they're going to be here they're going to be here whereas here it's like we don't know and i think there's a sense of dread to that too there's this underlying sense of dread that you don't know when they're coming back and you don't know um what exactly how things are going to play out are they going to catch them by surprise are they going to know they're coming Mm -hmm. what is going to happen they have an idea of like where where they're going to be coming from too but they don't know for sure either it's like okay at first they came from this way and then this way and now they're going to come you know from this way they they kind of discuss that and there's also kind of the the little suspenseful stuff like in between because there's three main battles really Mm -hmm. like between the samurai and between the bandits but there's also like those little moments moments like in between because the the bandits have three muskets yep. too which is you know obviously another, like another gonna, three yeah another rule of three yeah, in this movie true. Yeah. yeah true and there's like these little moments kind of attention too because you know they they're obviously gonna be at a disadvantage against them you know if they have those weapons so there's a couple of times where kiyuzo and then kikuchio goes off to try to like get the muskets before yes before the, the real battles happen and the, the and way the two the, way, the contrast the way of the Kiyuzo, two yes oh, exactly so the way good. that Kyuzo just comes back with it and is like, 
two more down and then he goes to, goes to sleep pretty much. yeah it's not about his <laughs> it's not about his glory it's his job no it's about i got i here you go i got this yeah. done there you and, go and, you i know, did my he, job and kikuchio is jealous yep because because you know katsushiro's talking about how great kyozo is right it's so funny because and he's just like Ugh. and then he goes off and he grabs it one really of them it's like look i got it and he runs back into the into the into the village hey god this is and 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 and, and uh and they followed him <laughs> shimada just like tears him a new asshole and says you know it's like there's there's nothing brave about selfishly grabbing for glory and that is that. the theme of the movie again right there you go yeah yeah exactly yeah, I forgot it, about that it's, it's that honor it's about honor and doing something not to get the glory but to do it because it's right i will give him i'll give kikuchi a little bit of credit in his planning though because he pretends to be one of the oh, bandits and just kind of so and just kind of like sits down next to I one of them <laughs> and is it's like, like hey let me can like, i see can that I, musket can I see that? <laughs> got it <laughs> so good it's almost like those scenes there's a scene in the, in the public enemy and the good the bad and the ugly where it's like there's like being really nice and he's like and he says oh can i can i see that right. gun um, he's like, oh, hey, can I, can I, can I borrow some shells? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. All right, there's a stick up. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot yep. like that. I love that. I don't know if I have anything more to add. I mean, I could talk about it. I mean, God. It would be, honestly, if if I, if we, I was going to keep talking about one of them, it would be Seven Samurai. Uh, I know. I, I think like I'm looking through my notes. Like, I feel like I've again, said my piece on Magnificent Seven, but um, I like Magnificent Seven. I want to make that clear that I think yeah, it's a too. really, really good movie. But I, I do think there's a cynical edge to it that sort of negatively affects the, 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 the themes of some of of the movie mm-hmm. it's in on and if it's making a different if it's telling a different story that's fine but i mean i think it undermines itself a little bit not just because it's remaking seven samurai that's not my yeah. point my point is i think it undermines itself especially in comparison to what inspired it um it's it's, it's there's not as much of a more uh, a powerful message in magnificent it Seven doesn't have as, as much of a moral center right but yes i i loved this this is the kind of westerns that i i absolutely i love westerns just in general but i mean this has got pretty much everything that i love in it <laughs> um I, it's beautiful that the the way that it's shot and showing off the the landscape the action is amazing and the cast is is fun there's i love the i always love the the dichotomy of like intensity versus comedy you know it makes people sort of unpredictable and but it also makes it gives a little bit of a lightheartedness to it especially because this is can be really brutal at times you know and the innocent people that you see just get taken down in horrible ways in this and it's uh, the the action is is awesome the the cast you said yeah i I love this one but uh, I, I did a little prompt on Twitter last night, like between like, oh, what would you pick between Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, 1960, and then Magnificent Seven, 2016? I kind of had a feeling, you know, what the clear winner would be. But you can't deny that e- even though it's these two movies, like I said, I don't really remember too much of the, the 60 version. I liked it okay, but I liked this one a lot more cause, yeah. just because it was more my speed. Sure. I would say. And if I honestly, if I was going to pick something just to watch for fun, like. Some samurai is too long. <laughs> oh, I, watch I know Magnificent what you're Seven saying. for yeah, fun, it, right? And, and, and I would I would agree with that. I think Magnificent Seven is is a, is a lot of 
fun to watch. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's sort of a grab off your shelf and throw it on kind of movie. And it's fun. It's it's doing its own thing. And it's got very different, like you said, moral center that is more compelling in Seven Samurai. But just as something like a really fucking cool movie to watch with a great cast and great action. Like, it doesn't really get much better than this. I thought he did such, uh, Fuqua did such an amazing, amazing job with this movie. One of the best, like, modern westerns. I think mm-hmm. that doesn't really get a lot of credit anymore. Like I don't hear people like I don't hear saying people that this about one this movie is much either. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I had seen it since that time in the theater, but watching mm-hmm. it again, I was like, yeah, this is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it was. I thought I remember thinking it's a cool movie the first time, and I thought it was a cool movie this time. Um, yeah, and then. There's Seven Samurai, which it's not fair to compare any movie to. <laughs> I know. I know. It just isn't. It's just, there's, to me, I, I think, honestly, it's like there's no, not much of a contest when you just, you know, it's just not. It's fair. not about which one's better. No, it's either. not about which I mean, one's it's better. About, I think it was about no. opening discussion about both movies. And what you can do with a, frankly, very similar and simple plot line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the ways that you can go off of that, like, obviously, you know, all the like you were saying before of all the different movies that are kind of like seven samurai yeah like there's a lot of different directions you can go but going back to the the original i mean i don't think it really gets too much better than seven samurai (laughs) gotta admit it it was just like mind-boggling how it just struck me so much this time and i had always liked it but man my letterbox review this time around was i think i just gotta say it this is the greatest movie ever made um not so tremors? i think i have what? i think i have a new you're right not <laughs> and, and it's not even one i've listed in my top uh 15 forever favorites but uh the the last five not yet revealed though i may need to switch out uh the one that i put in there for this one because i think uh, Honestly, even though I don't watch it very much, largely because of its length, it's just so compelling and so great and so much damn fun. That's what I've appreciated and gotten out of the the most from Kurosawa's movies. Because like I said before, when I had before I had actually started watching his movies, it kind of felt like it would be homework or that it wouldn't be something that I could really get into or relate to. But the way that he, he did his movies, uh, it's very relatable and they're very easy to watch when you've got a handle on the most important things in storytelling, like character yeah. and like relationships between characters yeah. and getting amazing actors to play them. That's what this movie really excels at to me. Yeah. Those are the parts of the movie that are the most compelling uh, the uh kikuchio with the, with the little baby you know by yeah. by the wheel oh, the, this baby yeah. i'm this baby this baby is me like <laughs> come on like there's so, so many great moments like that um and for your comic relief character to be yeah. the emotional center of the movie at the same yeah. time wow i mean that's bold i mean that's what makes me think kikuchio is one of the truly great characters in cinema because he offers so much to 
what the film is the very character Mm -hmm. of the film is is centered around him even though technically i think that kambe is probably the lead character if there is one kikuchio kind of steals the show (laughs) you know he's i think he's far more complex than kambe (laughs) well kambe is just like he's mature he knows what he is whereas i think kikuchio is still trying to figure it out you can see kikuchio maybe becoming like him you know if he had if he's if he survived he had survived he, i mean one would, of the one of the he biggest... would learn from somebody like kambe and you know deal with his past a little bit and have that yeah. that center probably after a while i think i could see him definitely becoming a character like that one of the most powerful shots in the movie is the moment where and i never really noticed it this way before but when uh they show kikuchio dead just lying on the ground mm-hmm. and, he, and he's 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 his legs are bare and there's mud all over his legs and the rain exactly. is just kind of washing it off. Washes it away. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly. something about that that, <laughs> that. that imagery is just so intensely powerful. Anyway, we could go on and on about this movie, I know. Um, and I'm sure that there are other things. Uh, if people want to talk to us about Seven Samurai, we welcome it. Uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter about it. We'd love to talk more about either of these films, any of these films. So anyway, we didn't talk about doing recommendations, but do you mind if I give one? Do you Go for uh, it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have one. Um, no. That's okay. Um, so I was just just thinking of, I guess, Shiro Mifune uh, and his abilities as an actor, you know, Kikuchio is is a big, over the top, crazy performance. So I actually want to mention sort of the movie that where he's sort of the the uh, kambe of the film, and that's Yojimbo. I mean, that's probably another obvious answer, but I mean, Yojimbo is such a different performance for Mifune. Uh, <laughs> just you know, the the scratching of his face. That's what I remember. And, and that's what I remember way- the most. <laughs> the way he shifts his his kimono. Um, another great one that I gotta mention is Samurai Rebellion, um, which is not a Kurosawa film, but it is so good. It is so good. I haven't seen it in years. Uh, it's I believe it's in the Criterion Collection. Uh, if you can track it down, watch it because it's it's amazing. Um, so just want to recommend a couple of Toshiro Mifune movies. And hey, go watch Godzilla. See the movie that uh, <laughs> that Takashi Shimura made the same year as Seven Samurai, right? Okay, I got one that I've already mentioned on the show before, but I will bring it back because it needs more eyes on it. And I just realized too that it's it's from the same year, starring the same person, and it's this, uh, another Western. Um, I mentioned one of my favorite discoveries um, was from 2016, In a Valley of Violence, right? Ethan the Hawk. Thai West movie. Yeah, yeah. Go see X. Go see Pearl. Hell yeah! Totally, I'm so excited for Pearl. I am too. <laughs> I understand. I am too. We're, we're recording this before. Well, I think I think we're actually going to be releasing this before Pearl comes out. Maybe when does it come out? The end of the month? Uh, I think it's like maybe it's the middle of the month. Maybe it was the 16th. Ah. So this this might be out after Pearl's available to go see. So I'm hoping to go see that. Well, go see it. Watch in the Valley. I gotta of watch Violence, in the Valley too. Of Violence, yeah. It's very cool. It's like a kind of reminded me a lot of Magnificent Seven and like the brutality and the violence and stuff of it but it's also very much a black comedy mm-hmm. too which is really interesting a really interesting way to tell a, a western story in a, a different way than you really see in western so it's a really really cool movie that more people need to see awesome okay so uh the 
I feel kind of bad. Like, so, stop being talking about such I know, good movies. It feels like there's so much really we missed. Tough. I know there's a lot we missed. I know there is. And, you know, yeah, I, I, know. Just, I was like, I wanted to talk about, you know, that part where Kambe is pulling, is shooting the bow, just the way that shot and everything is so cool. You just the movements, every, everything in this movie is just utterly perfect. Anyway. But I think we should probably mention real quick All right. what yeah. we're doing next. Uh, <laughs> we're heading into spooky season. Ooh, uh, happy Halloween month, everybody. So we're going to, first of all, we're going to be doing a couple of things. I'm going to be trying my darndest to get, we have a couple of uh, horror movie forever, friends forever favorites. Uh, that sort I of to, horror movies. Sort of horror. <laughs> One of them is, uh, uh, is sort of more horror adjacent than the other. Um, actually both of them are horror adjacent, but one of them is more a horror comedy than the other. Um, so we've got uh, a couple of those coming up. So we're excited to share those with you. I'll let them be a surprise when they drop. Um, and then next time, though, we're going to be revisiting the director. I think officially with this episode is going to be the director we have visited the most because we have done likely. Th- three episodes previously with this director, but we are doing yep. one solely <laughs> devoted to the underrated gems of one Wes Craven. Uh, we've covered A Nightmare on Elm Street. We've covered New Nightmare. We've covered Music of the Heart. Uh, so we're going to be covering next time. Um, I'm going to go first because mine is probably the more maligned <laughs> of the two, the less appreciated, the one that is. And you know what? It shouldn't be. It's been growing on me more and more. And I originally I was going to pick Scream 4, but that movie has been well accepted as awesome. It's not underrated um, anymore, which is not great. Un- I'm so glad that movie's <laughs> not underrated favorite. anymore. Yeah. yeah I, it's my favorite Scream movie. Sorry. It's probably not my sorry. Uh, is it the best Scream movie? Probably not, but it's my favorite. Um, now that I've watched. <laughs> I'm going to watch a Scream movie now. That now. now that I Honestly, watched, I'm going to watch Scream 4. Now that I watched the first one again like back to back with four i was like yeah one's pretty awesome (laughs) i'll I'll, I'll give you that but uh i have chosen the last film that uh, wes craven wrote and directed my soul to take from 2010 and i have chosen a very personal favorite of his that um I, I, honestly, I don't think this one is too underrated anymore either. Like whenever it's not talked about a people lot, but when like it's brought it. up, people like people it. like it a lot. Mm-hmm. But they just underseen, if anything. Maybe yeah. it's just not talked about enough. So mm-hmm. you know what? We're gonna talk about it, and that is from 2005. Cursed Red Eye. Oh no, <laughs> that was a joke. Ryan Larson, if you're listening, first of all, I miss you. First of all, I miss you, and um, yeah, and I, I. Still don't like cursed. I'm sorry. I tried. Ah, I tried. I tried. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Red Eye. Red Eye is so good, though. Red Eye. It is. I, I. That another movie that has really. I loved it the first time I saw it, but it's really. I just love it even more now that I've revisited it several yeah. times. You know, over the course of the past couple of years, because I've been doing a lot of stuff with Wes Craven. Uh, what? In really? my writing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So we will talk more in depth about both of those movies. Those should both be good conversations. Cause Promise I to give like, Cursed a try. Those should both be good conversations because I like that we both have uh, a new appreciation, especially for his most maligned movie, My Soul to Take. I think it's when most maligned kind of... except maybe for Cursed. I think Cursed is probably more hated, <laughs> oh, true. More yeah, yeah. hated than, than My Soul to Take. But My Soul to Take's pretty hated oh it's it's uh it's unreal he was i mean it it broke 
Craven's heart that people hated this movie as much as they did. And I, I'll probably share a little bit about that um, in in the episode. But people understand all the bullshit that happened with Cursed, you know, that, yeah, of course, it probably didn't turn out the way that Craven wanted it to. But my soul to take, I, I, for the longest time, I, hearing other people's criticisms of it, I think I let that affect me rather than me watching it and reevaluating it myself. And I did rewatch it uh, like a couple months ago. And I was like, this really isn't that bad. <laughs> There's some really so, interesting some things cool stuff he's, going on. he's trying to do, at least. Uh, it's a big mm-hmm. swing, I think, though I, I don't know that everything in it lands, but I really like it a lot. It's grown on me more than any other Craven film. I think it has risen in my estimation uh, more than any other. It's an interesting movie, and I look forward to talking about that and having, you know, kind of seeing it through each other's eyes is always fun. Very excited about Red Eye, though. Love Red Eye so much. (laughs) Red Eye is... Red Eye is a wonderful movie. Such a gem. <laughs> yeah. I have some interesting comparisons to making it about it too, I think, too. That I hope I hope okay. we enjoy. Okay. <laughs> Got me a little no, I, I can I can compare it to one of my favorites, uh, to to elements of it remind me of Nightmare oh, on the Street, that's believe right. it or not. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 I wrote it I wrote about it already, so I think it's I remember interesting. reading that. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um so whether people agree with me or not, I don't care. I it's how I feel about it. <laughs> Okay, I have reached the uh, stage in my life now that I'm middle-aged where I give far fewer fucks than I used to. So um, just in the past few weeks, um, I've had sort of a revelation about all this. So um, go ahead and at me, bro. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) So let's have a discussion is more like it, though. I think I think this whole idea of just attacking people because they have a differing opinion for no nuanced reason is is frustrating. So anyway, where can people attack you online? People can attack me in the comment section of Bloody Disgusting, as they often do, which feel free to do that there because I never read them. (laughs) I meant what is your Twitter? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that. Okay, God. you can you can find. <laughs> Brian's on a roll. Okay, so um, you can find me now on Twitter at brianwaves42. <laughs> you can find me at Michelle in Aiken. <laughs> I set that and- up so perfectly for you, and you just dropped the ball. I did. Well, I, I, I wanted, I wanted people to attack me. I thought we were of one mind now. Well, I was just like, you could attack me in this place because I won't see it. Uh, Well, very, very rarely will I. Sometimes I'd read the comments, but usually when I'm feeling safe, don't read the comments ever. Usually when I'm feeling safe about it, (laughs) like, like if I'm writing about uh, uh, the 1951 version of the thing, for example, that's pretty safe. People are. Classic horror fans are usually pretty chill. Anyway, um, and uh, you can find our show, which you will find being used more often. And we got a little engagement uh, this week about some forever favorites. If you have more forever favorites to share with us or anything you want to talk about the show with, you can find us at Movie Life Pod. Uh, we're at 850 followers. So we could Yay. love. We'd love to get a few more, maybe. Get us over a thousand. Could we, That'd be cool. Could we get to a thousand? That would That'd rule. Awesome. Thank you to everybody that um, you know follows us and interacts with us. Um, give us a like and share retweet. when you see us sharing in the episodes. Retweet us. Give us a five star review. 
wherever you listen to your podcasts, please. And thank you. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we would love it. Okay. Onward to Wes Craven movies and Halloween season. Get to talk about our boy again. Yeah. Happy spooky season coming up here, everybody. I think people are already in spooky season mood. (laughs) I know I am. It was, it could not come too soon this year. Seriously. September 1st. I was like, let's do this thing. Actually, it was more like August 4th when my spirit opened. (laughs) Seriously, our spirit Halloween opened on August 4th and my son were there and I were there. (laughs) So I was ready. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Okay. So now what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. Bye. All right. Bye. Be magnificent to each other. (laughs) Cut that out, you dork. No.